Hello everyone. Bailey here. In this live stream recorded the 3rd of August 2022, Frank and Andy reflect upon five years of podcasting and the long journeys of their respective careers and why it depends is such a common refrain in technology discussions. Now on with the show. All right, all right. Hello everyone on LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and I think that's all the platforms. I'm not totally wow. sure. I always <laughs> it is a lot of platforms. I love Restream, man. Restream is is freaking awesome. Uh, my name is Frank Lavinia, and uh, to my to my left, yes, to my left is Andy Leonard. Yes. Um, and a couple of things uh, we I have a. I reset my environment by mistake, so I don't have Andy's um, like lower thirds there, but that's mine. Uh, but datadriven.tv, um, you can definitely check us out, where we just launched season uh, six and our 300, epi- uh, 300th episode. Woohoo! It's, it's, imp- it's pretty impressive. You know, it's um, very happy to, to have that. And um, I realized when I named this, this particular live stream, was talking about it was High Impact Tuesdays. And uh, how quantum computing is almost here. Um, probably because I, I spent some time uh, with Bailey <laughs> working on our um, uh, working on her latest segment on um, on uh, quantum computing, which she has taken upon herself to do. Nice. Um, so for those who don't know, if you're listening, if you're watching us here and you're listening uh, to just regular data driven, or hey, you're watching this live right now. Um, the, um, uh, we, in addition to launching season six of data driven, we tried an experiment with, uh, basically turning over kind of the, uh, sharing of news and happenings around, uh, quantum computing, uh, over to AI and, um, uh, have this new software that actually does a pretty realistic job of rendering a presenter and, um, You've, you've probably seen it. If you go to franksworld.tv, it's a couple are there. I'm impressed with the technology, I have to say. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, the voice is particularly good. Um, mm-hmm. There's all sorts of other stuff. Where I'm, I'm experimenting with it. I'm tweaking it, and I'm, I'm playing around with, like, I got a new toy, which, <laughs> which is kind of good. It's cool, Frank. Very cool. Cool. So can you believe it, man? See, six seasons. I, you know, that's like five and a half seasons more than I thought we'd go <laughs> <laughs> when we started out. But, you know, you and I are both uh, Grant Cardone fans, and I think you've listened to the latest uh, 10X Mentor a couple of times. I'm still work, making my way through the first time. And he talks in the early, I've only made it to chapter 15, and he talks early in the book about a lot of failures. And, you know, just not letting that stop you. And we were kind of doing that before we learned about Grant Carter. So, um, yeah, it just became a thing. And I think it's inherent in software development. If you ever do software development, you learn very, very quickly that you're doing everything you think that you need to do to make this code work. And then you push the play button and the code most of the time doesn't. And, you can either kind of get resentful or angry or whatever at that. I, I've seen people do that. Um, it's been years, but they're not software developers anymore. Um, 
and it, and it's probably good for them that they're not because it's that type of field. It is very much a physics uh, experience. You know, it's, it's if the code is going to do exactly what you tell it to do, and you have to get used to the idea that you don't always tell it what you want it to do. You, even you, always, you, you, you say, that's not what I meant. And the computer exactly. is not not good at that. You know, it's what funny. Like, I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that. It's because a few years ago, I was, um, uh, and this was an experience I, I still kind of remember. I was helping a bunch of high school kids with um, over like the summer. It was for Athletech was the thing. And it was, it was at the Microsoft office and things like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I would be building code like live on stage, which, as you know, is adds another extra element of surprise and fun. Oh, sure. Um, and um, what's interesting is how, you know, nothing worked. And, you know, just a, it was just a regular, you're just building something, right? Well, you, you stop it, you start it, you change the code, you start again. And I, it was interesting because, you know, I went to the organizer. I said, yeah, sorry, it took a little longer than I thought. He goes, no, it was good because these kids are actually seeing like this is this is an actual part of how what the job is. Oh, yeah. And that got me thinking because, you know, when you see a product like Facebook or um, uh, any of these platforms like Twitter, whatever, yeah. you see the finished product. You don't see, you know, all the, the failed builds and all like, you know, the individual unit testing or whatever or you don't see a lot of you see the finished product you don't see yeah the sausage was made in that sense which i think is an interesting thing so if you and i think that can be intimidating to a lot of folks who are not in the field where they just assume oh well the code has to work the first way like the code, well that's what works you know everyone's experience is up to that point when they start coding right you know everything just works and it's like right. yeah now <laughs> but everything works now well, it's like, it's like one of those things where, and I've also noticed like as I've matured in, in kind of my software development or whatever it is I do, because technically I don't do a lot of software development in a traditional sense anymore. Yes. Yeah. You know, data engineering is arguably a different discipline, similar kind of. I'd call that software development. I, kind I still of. would. Yeah. I wouldn't call data science strictly the same. No, that's not the... strictly the same. Yeah. But when you're building, you know, data engineering, right. pipelines, objects, data integration, that, I mean, when we put it into perspective of, say, you know, the Microsoft space where we're doing Azure Data Factory and Synapse right. Analytics and SSIS still, um, in SSIS's case, you actually, it's an extension to Visual Studio. Visual Studio is used for, you know, C sharp and VB and F sharp and all the rest of the programming languages that Microsoft allows them. So I think it's there for a reason. I, th- I think it should adhere to software development best practices. I'm building a series right now on um, on Azure Data Factory and Git. You know, oh, taking cool. it from the ground up. Yeah. Well, you'll um, you'll get to see it in a bit. I'm I'm doing, uh, I built a new presentation around that idea. I've got, I think, a four-part blog series coming out. I'm on part three so far. I don't think, I don't think this will be the end of it. And then um, I just rolled all of that up into a presentation that I'm pitching to Code Camps of, not, well, SQL Saturdays, not Code Camps. Um, and Interesting. we'll see, you know, we'll see where it goes this fall, but. Um, you're already, you're already lined up to speak in Boston, right? I, yep, Boston. Uh, they've they've selected me for. I'm doing a pre-con there, 
at Sequel Saturday Boston all day cool. Friday. And then Saturday, um, they haven't told me which session. I presented, um, I threw uh, two submissions at them. Cool. And I'm hoping they picked the one about the um, about ADF and Git. Um, I I just see it, Frank, as such a natural outflow. I mean, we build um, the the way I'm going through with the video series, and you've got some of these videos, and I know you're working on uh, editing them and giving them zing and all of the stuff. I don't know how to do, which is a lot. Of special effects. That's it. Frank's the man, and you know, then it'll end up on the data channel, and um, and uh, for folks like that, then. Um, but it's, it's the next thing after we build the first pipeline in Azure Data Factory. So go, go right to source control, set this up. This is how you learn to use it. Some, some personal experience, I was just writing a, a part where I said, I have a confession. You know, I did not understand the terms pull request. It just boggled my mind. What, what are we <sighs> requesting when we say pull request? What is the, and it, what really, what it really came down to for me was uh, understanding, uh, better understanding of branches and the whole concept of a, of the working branch. And I had that concept just completely wrong. And once I got that concept straightened out, um, it made a lot of sense. I'm going to pull into this working branch some other branch or some other changes, or at least I'm going to attempt to. And it's a dumb little thing, but it hung me up. You know, for the longest time, and I've been doing source control, Frank, for over twenty years. You know, for software and even for SSIS. Git, Git has but, its own kind of. It's one of those newfangled ones. When I say newfangled, like about ten years. There was another yeah. one. Or is it? Did they call it distributed source control, where you know, where you have a local repo, and then there's a, there's a central repo, and yeah, Mercurial was the other one that I actually kind of liked better. Mm -hmm. uh, but Git won. So, you know, um, yeah. probably I would say in no small part because of a, of a, of a site like GitHub, right? Yes. Because coding is not, this is interesting. I, I love how our shows go like completely different directions than intended, right? No, no, <laughs> this is awesome, right? So, so one, I want to walk back. I'm not saying that like data engineering is not software development because it clearly is, but it's a yeah. different type of software development, right? So um that's fair it's a different yeah. it's a different thing because you're dealing with different things right you know if you mess up a data pipeline you can do some serious damage right so that, that that's true so testing i think is testing is always important but i think it's even more critically important in the environment when you know if you have a pipeline that you're pushing you know six gigs of data through or whatever you can really do yeah. some serious damage i would use other yeah. words but i like i like our uh clean itunes rating but you can you can i just I took should, a drink Frank. i'm sorry i know i shouldn't have said that but you do some serious damage with that now you know if you if you yes. have a react component and it like doesn't render right on you know iphone you know widescreen iphones or you know no one's it's damaged but it's not i don't know i you know not not to knock front-end development because i'm getting no, no i haven't done front-end development in a number of years and um uh, you and i are working yeah. on a project that will we'll just call project dachshund for now that's the public you know like super secret like code name it. word, but like um, um, you know, I'm I'm working with doing building something in Blazor and kind of like all this nice. front end stuff. I was like, this is a it's a different discipline, right? It's a different mental yeah. kind of framework, and I think the same holds true for that. Um, and no, then, I definitely agree with you, and and you're right. The subtlety is, you know, is a big part of this. It's the you know, it's a subtle art. 
of a data integration. And there's a number of ways you can approach it, but there's usually only a handful of ways where it's efficient, um, you know, and effective and all that. And your fragility is baked right in from the, from the get-go. Well, yeah, and it's just, you know, what does efficiency even mean? in the era of the cloud, right? Like and you and I've had this conversation where, you know, sure. If you're, if you're, if you're renting a cloud service or you're doing something that, you know, does it matter if the, if it, if you can write. So a long time ago, there was a guy who, um, I forget his name, but he presented the SQL server Richmond user group. And he was talking about building high performance systems. And all of these things were great. Like all these ideas he had, but one of them was basically using, um, um, like binary numbers to like not not binary numbers but using like you know powers of two to set certain parameters based on that they said that was the most efficient that was the most processing efficient way to do and i'm thinking he's right however the readability of that code is not trivial so what what when you talk about performance like you know there's a well what do you mean like you're talking about total cost of ownership that sort of setup, you know, if you if you have an on-prem system and you you know or on-prem or you had to buy the hardware to do it, then that there's a very strong case for that, right? Uh, right. Uh, losing rate of readability in order to eke the most out of your hardware, but if you're sure. doing it on the cloud, where you know, okay, the most performant slash efficient way will save you thirty cents a month at right. the expense of readability. Or you know, even whatever the order of magnitude, if it's thirty dollars a month and you're making millions of sure. dollars, you know, you're, you're through that app or whatever, does that matter? Like, I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, that famous answer of it depends, is really comes into play. It's very true, and you know, I've always taken that approach. Um, I did, a, I've done a lot of consulting, and you know, a lot of things come into the end design that aren't technical at all. Um, if you got a team that even, let's say a team came to data uh, engineering from database management, well, then you want to build your data engineering in a way that they can maintain it more easily, that they don't have to stretch and learn some other language. And, you know, .NET's baked right into uh, C Sharp, and then PowerShell's baked right into ADF. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff you can do in Azure, Azure PowerShell. Um, but if the team that's going to end up supporting it at the end of the day doesn't know that technology, right? Then how, you know, how valuable is what you're leaving them? And you know, what kind of took us at least a second share, some maybe third, was performance. Uh, in that case, if you could get it to perform well enough, but you hit this higher goal of, and I always classified this as sustainability. And I know sustainability has got a bunch of other definitions and it's an overloaded term. Right. And I'm not talking about it in, in those terminology. I'm just talking about the least friction to maintain the solution over time. And that's what I went for. You know, we had a shop full of people who came at uh, data integration from C sharp. I built it differently. You know, I, and right. I'd actually, in, in both cases, if they were coming from database administration or from software development, I built it less efficient. I always ended up building less efficient solutions because it turns out 
more efficient solutions are available in both those realms. But it, and it depends exactly what you said earlier. It depends on the problem you're trying to solve. And, you know, and, and the, again, sustainability was the, was the trump card uh, for me every time. So yeah, it's it funny how that, it, that's an old debate. Like, I remember when yeah. I was just a young child, uh, a youngin, as some would say, um, <laughs> my first gig was, my first paid gig was um, as, a, as a summer intern at Merrill Lynch. And um, I wrote a program in Visual Basic. This was Visual Basic 6. If I recall, it came on like 26 or 30 floppies. Well, wow. Windows was like six. It was a lot of floppies. Yeah, yeah. Install. And um, so for you kids out there that are like, what's a floppy? It's a it's an actual save icon. Um, <laughs> 3D and, rendered uh, save icon. 3D rendered, uh, 3D printed uh, save icon. Um, <laughs> but I wrote this app and it was basically, it was my first big professional project. It was uh, called Beepmail and was another this is another 90s tech so pagers uh i don't know if anyone would know what that is but basically you could send a text message to this device and instead of having to call up not you didn't have this on your phone but you would call up an 800 number and a person an actual live human being would translate what you said and would type that into a computer system and that would then appear on your on your mobile device that was just all it did and um, wow, this is really dating ourselves. So, um, but we found out that there was like a, a uh, wasn't quite a web service because the web wasn't really, it existed, but it wasn't really widespread, but you could actually um, call up a, a, a number and connect to that using a modem, which is again, mm -hmm. probably something else most kids wouldn't know, and then transmit that message um, basically through the computer and then hang up and then the message would go out. So I wrote this thing that was basically the front end that connected to a back end that I had. Um, it was using a DOS automation tool. So a little bit of RPA, if you will, and uh, screen scraping. Um, but the front end was all Visual Basic, you know, VB6 and things like that. And and there's other intern who um, I think, I want to say was jealous of the success and popularity that this tool had. Um, was like, oh, you should, we need to rewrite it and see. Oh, I had I'm that like, debate. Like, why? And then he goes, yeah. it'd be more efficient. And then fortunately, my boss at the time was kind of a, it was both our bosses, but he's like, why? What is the point of doing it in C? Yes, it will be faster. Yes, it will be more memory efficient. Maybe. But this isn't. Actually, maybe. That's true. That's true. It all depends. If you're right. good at C, then yes, it would be. If you're not good at C, which most people are not nearly as good at C as they, they are, uh, yeah. then it'll be, it'll probably be worse. So it's kind of one of those things where it was like he, he basically said, you're not writing a video game. I think the, the video game of the day would have been either Doom. It was probably yeah. been Doom, right? And he's like, this isn't, a, this isn't a mod for Doom. Like, this isn't, you're not writing a 3D shooter. Like, yeah. efficiency is irrelevant because people are clicking on this. And he said, you know, a 486 is going to have more than enough juice to do this. Again, kids probably don't know what a 486 yeah. is. But, um, you know, um, it was probably the great grandfather to the um, device in your laptop now. Um, yeah. But, but ultimately like, it, it, that's just it. Like, you know, if you, we hit a point in computers that the, 
advancements in the processing, I think, outstrip the need or the, the what the software demands were. A great example yeah. is, you know, uh, you know, having a laptop that's five years old is still pretty functional as of today. Oh, yeah. I, I've got one, in fact. Yeah, <laughs> I have. I mean, my, you know, the my my laptop, my personal laptop, is about four years old now. Yeah, perfectly fine, except when the solder that they botched the job, the solder job from the Lenovo factory. But I'll save that for another day. Um, you know, as long as I don't push it or touch a certain side of the laptop while it's on, yeah. it's perfectly fine. But performance-wise, it's not an issue, right? right? Now, go back in time, you know, a five-year-old laptop between, say, 1995 to, say, year 2000 would have been almost unusable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, And it's just the lifespan of these things have gotten longer because there's no, um, there's no need for that. In fact, I only bought the desktop that I have because uh, nothing I had would be able to plug into the Oculus in a way that was performance. They all, they all failed the Oculus performance test. And you use that as the render beast. And I yeah. now use that as the render beast, which is, yeah. You know, Just what, you know, throwing back a little bit to the old VB versus C arguments. And I used to get involved in that. I was a VB coder as well. Now remember there's VB versus C. And then for the younger generation, there's VB net versus C sharp. That that's right. Those and are different classes of arguments. They, although they really they, are. They yep. probably were descended from, from that whole thing. But go ahead. I'm but sorry. I, no, that, that's exactly the point I wanted to make. Did you notice when .NET came out that all that, um, that hoo-ha about uh, using an uh, intermediate language kind of went away? That right. was a, a, point, a strike against VB and a, a point for C or C, rather, is that right. it didn't use an intermediate language. Of course, C Sharp does and it not not only does it use a intermediate language it's the same intermediate language for vb dot so you know that all that all kind of evaporated but you know old old war stories and stuff like that but that that was astute of your boss to make that distinction um right because a lot of people would go for the extra you know five milliseconds um of course it would take six months to rewrite it in C. And right, and that's just it. This that. this wasn't like well, I don't even think this existed at the time. This wasn't a high frequency trading operation, right? Which in right, that case, right. those milliseconds would matter. Mm-hmm. I think what we've seen over the last, the larger economic picture in in software development or or any of this technology field, is that the cost of hardware is dropping, but the cost of labor yes. is going up. This is regardless of the recession or inflation yeah. or whatever's going on now. But I mean, that's largely been a thing. It's like. You know, um, I think it was you and I had a conversation about this. You were talking about this is like I was still living in Richmond. Like, that's how long ago this was when you were like you were pondering what the future of your career would look like. And you basically said something to the effect of, you know, if I can optimize a query, you you think your big value with wherever you were working at the time. I think this was the race car project. I don't know. Um, But um whatever you were doing, you were like, you know, like SQL optimization and query tuning is, has a limited shelf life as a career opportunity. And yeah. I was surprised to hear this. I'm like, why? And then you were like, well, look, you know, you can get an SSD and like you, you list all the things that were like, you can spend money on this. It's getting yes. cheaper. You don't need to pay a software engine you know, or a database tuning. Not to say that that's not important, but I think the math on no, it has yeah. changed. It is very important to be able to, you know, to do that. And 
you know, and granted, uh, there are a lot of use cases out there for, you know, for tuning queries and that sort of, uh, that sort of work. And I know some real experts at this and, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from them. There are still opportunities and there will be, there'll always be opportunities for database tuning. Um, a few times in my career, you were reminded me of the race car project and then later actually on a larger scale project it was actually doing the um, medicaid solution for a state and we put together a team that we needed to you know optimize the loading of this data it was a data integration project put together a team of about 50 people um, flew them to the state and everybody just went heads down, tiger team on this until we fixed it. It took about six weeks and we fixed it. In the middle of that, that our particular group was purchased by another group. And I remember being on a call, you know, about three weeks into that. And the other management was listening in um, and trying to come up to speed and get to know our personalities and the problems we were trying to solve. And he said in passing, you know, hey, is there anything I can do to help y'all with this project? And I said, yeah, you don't happen to have five gigs of SSD laying around, you know, being me. And um, uh, about a, about a three weeks later, when we were wrapping up our efforts, um, I remember the network guy coming in and going, hey, uh, Andy, we just got five gigs of SSDs. Nice. <laughs> you know, they, what would you like to do? With I'm like, can you rack those tonight? <clears throat> and a couple of days later, you know, we were able to, to run on that. Now, in the end, what we ended and up And for doing, those listening who are below a certain age, that was a big yes. deal. Like now. It was a, back then. Yeah, yeah. It was like a dozen years ago. Right. Um, now you're right, Frank. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, and they were got awful expensive. But at the at the end of this, we ended up basically doing both. We tuned the code and, you know, tuned the queries. And then we had fast drives on run. Everything ran really, really, really fast. But just as a test, I pulled one of our initial, and I track everything. You know, that's just my nature. I pulled one of the original, uh, it was an SSIS package, actually. And I ran it on the new hardware in the old state. And I forget exactly what the numbers were, but it was within a few percentage points uh, it, the old code running on the new hardware ran within a few percentage of speed of that, you know, that it, it as the optimized code. Granted, the optimized wow. code on the old hardware ran a lot faster. But on the new hardware, since we'd optimized it, it, it just wasn't, you know, the SSDs weren't helping us that much. And it was because IO wasn't a problem in that particular package. Um, but we were able to drop that thing down to like single digit percentage of the time it was running and it when i ran the cost benefits analysis on it because i confess i track everything you're very data driven um, well i am and it's just it's always i find it fascinating it was cheaper to throw as expensive as ssds were back then it was cheaper to throw the ssds at it for the performance boost than to optimize the hard to optimize the code i'm not and, surprised and that, it happens it's, sometimes it's the other way don't get me wrong yeah. i've tracked them and it's gone the other way no it's cheaper to optimize the code but yeah it's it's it, it literally does depend 
I remember I was working on a, at a, a gig at a previous employer, and uh, it was a WPF app. It was a call center. It was a WPF app, and I think this is this this is within the last five years or so, or six years. And yeah. I, I I think you would relay that story again. I think at that time now because it sounds familiar. Because basically they had a WPF application, and the way the WPF application was written. It basically preloaded about six sixty five hundred elements. So obviously, when that window launches, it's going to take some time. Now, yeah. one of the things that I thought was curious was WPF is Windows Presentation Foundation. It's the UI layer for uh, Windows since about what the .NET three O timeframe right, uh, was right. also the backbone for UWP apps or Metro apps and you know, Windows Phone apps and things like that. So yeah. that was a language I thought in all the time, like in one point. Yeah. And um, just for fun, like I ran on my computer and I'm like, works on my machine. Like, <laughs> you know, cause I had a, you know, thing. And then one of the things that was a real advantage of WPF was that it, it leveraged the GPU. Yeah. If the GPU drivers were correct. So like I, I basically said to the guys like, well, this is a very complicated, there was a lot of validation. There was a lot going in here. Yeah. Ultimately, we did some tests on their hardware. Turns out that they, the, the computers that they had didn't have the right drivers for the GPU. Oh, no. So some of their computers, if they updated the, the driver, it ran fine. Like it, they wanted it within two and a half seconds and it was fine. It was like one and a half yeah. okay. with the GPU. And then we basically priced it out where he's like, you know, for $250 a workstation at the time, you, they could upgrade everybody to like a stand, like a GPU that would be more than enough, get it down to under one and a half seconds. And I'm like, you know, as the, you know, I'm like, are you okay with that? And then the, the guy was like, I'm per $250 times like 50 is a fixed price. There's all sorts of tax things he explained too, but he's like, God only knows what happens if we start poking at this code base. Because not the least yeah. which is the cost you <laughs> right. your company would be but for this i can fix it it already works like it, it sometimes sometimes it's just better to throw hardware at the at the solution yeah it is and i think part of the art of the art and science of what we do kind of comes with understanding when it's best to go one way versus the other buy versus build is another right um, kind of generic term for describing some of these this class of problems and it's, uh, it's, it's not easy, and we don't always get that right. Um, I've failed as much as I've succeeded on, on those, sorts of, um, those sorts of things. Well, there's a but lot of engineers that would just scoff at that, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's we're, more fun we're to be an engineer. It is more fun. Plus, we're also perfectionists. Yeah. You know, like, I, but the first thing yeah. I wanted to do was rewrite it so it would do either lazy loading or, like, have kind of, like, uh, a tiered kind of loading approach. Yep. That was my first attack of it, but when, I mean, it's that's a lot. That's a lot what? to unravel, and it's one of those things where it. This is a production live system. Obviously, we would have had our own test branch and things like that. But I'm looking at like this is months of work. It's interesting you bring that up with the lazy loading and stuff because there, there is an architectural pattern in data engineering that essentially practices that that same way of going. It's, you know, you load the if you've got a hierarchy, you load um, enough of the top of the hierarchy to, to get things kind of stable. And then you load even subsets of the fields 
in the lower because there's more if you think about parent child and hierarchies the more hierarchies you step down usually the more rows you're adding there's more children than there was you know it's a one-to-many type relationships in a lot of data and you don't load everything and it it goes back to um this whole idea that uh Kimball solved with slowly changing dimensions and if you were doing um, any kind of um, data engineering 20 years ago, you you got it because there wasn't much fiber running around from point A to point B where you needed it. And I remember being in uh, Jacksonville and loading, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of transactions per day over a 15K pipe to Denver. And you just, you, people don't even imagine that anymore, but, but, one of the settings in, a t you know, in, in the different types of slowly changing dimensions was ignore this particular attribute. So what you were saying is, if this changes, don't send that change. If you detect this change in a source, ignore it. And, you know, it, it it's not even in our repertoire anymore because we just, we have enough bandwidth. Now, I'm, I'm talking to you on 25 meg DSL, which we would have, killed for 20 years ago <laughs> you know and you're oh, yeah. on are you on fiber or cable or we're on cable at the new house with uh gigabit yeah. service nice so um, i mean this you're, we're in star trek land frank from where we were oh, 20 totally. years ago. you know i mean you know just the idea of streaming video yes and not just streaming video like i'm watching a little you know posted stamp size thing uh but streaming full 4D, you know, I mean, not 4D, but like 4K HD yeah, is yeah. just phenomenal. Like, and, and not only that, now that's the preferred way to go, right? You know, we don't, right. we, you know, cord cutting is kind of like the thing. We don't mm -hmm. have a standard uh, thing. Um, you know, it was like, the only downside is, is that when the internet went down for a couple hours, like about a week and a half ago, and like nothing worked, like, you know, not the Alexa. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's just, it's one of those things where, you don't realize how much you use it until you don't have it. And so then, true. Um, so but you know, but you're right. I mean, like the whole ubiquity of bandwidth, the, you know, the, you're no longer spinning disks to get data per se. Right. And even if you are, they're so fast now it's abstracted away behind a web service. Right. It, the, these are all things that really open up new paradigms and new possibilities that, you know, weren't probably, you know, would have been science fiction, like you said. Yeah. And it's just so exciting to, we, I know you're, I looked at, glanced at your title again about quantum computing is almost here. Oh, yeah. Um, we, you know, we keep talking to people and it's like every week somebody's got some new uh, announcement about uh, error correction or, you know, adding uh, more qubits. And oh, it's yeah. just, Bam, bam, bam. And well, what, that's really heating know. up. It's really heating up. Like, I know. I'm sitting right? there. I'm sitting there watching the news because I have a news alert and I'm like, you know, I should probably get back on that podcast. And then <laughs> probably get back on that podcast. Probably get back. And Brian Lenahan, who's a was a, an author of um at least two books now. He has a new book out. And um yeah, I was starting reading that and I was like, This this we need to get back in the game. So I found a way to get the AI to do it for now. But yeah. um uh, but no, you're right. I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's exploding. 
And that is another thing that we'll look back and, you know, look at like, wow, we just used regular like ones and zeros back then, but now we got, yeah. you know, all these photonics and, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's an interesting technology and time and space to be. And it's, it's really growing yeah. at a pace that I haven't seen in a while. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's real exciting actually. It is. So who knows, who knows where we go from here, Frank, but it'll be, um, I know it'll be a wild ride because it has been the whole time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what's actually interesting is one of the stories, um, that will be, that Bailey will highlight. I'll steal a little bit of her, um, her thunder, but basically the, the top line is quantum processor completes 9,000 years of work in 36 microseconds, which is exactly the type of impact that this has. You know, yeah. are we going to see like SQL Server Quantum Edition? I don't know, but I mean, you know, but you know, these types of problems that are the P does P equal NP type problems, these big kind of big kind of optimization problems. Um, that's really what quantum computers will do better at. And there's also this is funny actually. This is really funny. So, um, uh. Bailey got, I think Bailey might have gotten mansplained too. I'm not sure. Somebody may have tried to mansplain Bailey, like, because there was a comment, and I was just basically, it was in the second video I made where she does the quantum news. And she basically did, you only have but so many, like, text characters you can do in, in, a, right. in, a, in an iteration. And at this point, I was already kind of at a larger size of the iteration that it would take forever to render. So, all of which say I had to explain the value that AI and that quantum computing has on AI training, right? In in mm -hmm. twenty characters or less, <laughs> or or you know twenty words or less, right? And like you know I I I I took this you know it was either that or make it render for another forty five minutes. So I was like, all right, so I just did this, and then somebody did a you know a well actually, yeah, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, that is. So, it yeah, made me I, laugh. First, I was no, mad. First, I was like, right. right. And I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> so you, they shoot. Yeah. So it's, you know, I've, I've blogged about this, uh, you know, uh, in the past. There was a uh, friend who was presenting at his very first SQL Saturday. Mm -hmm. And he got about, I don't know, five or six comments. And, uh, one of them was just, you know, a bunch of ones on a scale of one to five, where one's the low number. No comments, no help. And he was really bummed out about it. And I, I came in, I had, I don't know, 20. And uh, I said, hey, look, let's look through this list because there's always one. And he said, like, what do you mean? You don't ever get negative comments. And I'm like, oh, just wait. So we literally went through them right there. First time I'd seen them. And sure enough, there was one with like ones and twos and no, no feedback on it. And I said, here's the thing. You never know what somebody is going through. You don't know what they're struggling with, what they're facing. And um, they're going to take it out on you. It's going to happen. It's part of it, whether That's it's true. online or you know, or what. Or what Especially in these days, it's just getting yeah. worse, right? It seems. At least it, maybe it, maybe it's not getting worse, but I'm just maybe I'm just seeing it more. I don't know. I think people have less filter when they they deal with somebody online. Especially if they're anonymous, right? So you and I are not anonymous, right? And so that doesn't. I don't. I hope um, I act the same as if I was anonymous, but I probably don't. 
it probably adds to uh, my filter that I'm not. I just don't do it. One of the one of the interesting things was when uh, back when we were doing these actual presentations in person. Yes. Uh, in the before time, like you know, what was really frustrating, and I would actually say this when I worked at Microsoft, because when you work at Microsoft and evangelism, they would always track like those things very seriously. So like if you got a bad review, that was, you know, not just your ego hurt; it could you know, yeah. your pocketbook. So. Yeah. I remember I would basically say, hey, look, you know, give me an eval. If you think I suck, you think this is the worst presentation ever, that's fine. Just tell me, tell me why. That's cool. But yeah. if you're not happy with the food, if you're not happy with the temperature of the room, if you're not happy with the comfort of your chair, please yeah. don't mark me against that. Don't mark that against me. Because I right. was in the speaker room of like, you know, this was back when Tech Ed was still called Tech Ed. And like you would say, it would show like the comments and like the speakers were getting like, room's too cold one like really and it would always be like this thing like i don't like i even like if it counts in the even if it counts in aggregate part of the average you're getting game for something you right 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 and it's just like it's like you know yeah. it's just interesting and i think for folks that are designing eval forms should probably have like a separate thing for facility related problems so that way the you speaker data data science yes yeah. some the the that would be labeled but the problem with that isn't so much the data collection the problem is the people right you would have to right. expressly point that out but it's fascinating cool. it's a fascinating um it's a fascinating um kind of feel this quantum thing and definitely is you know you're seeing a lot of um eco you're seeing a whole like market develop the whole ecosystem where this company is working with this company and you're starting to see this 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 is probably what um the computer industry looked like in the 60s because once exactly. you exactly Right. Once you got, once you, once you kind of got it more or less figured out, you still need a lot of handholding and things like that and kind of right. get things working. But, but like for industry to actually take it up, then there becomes a whole other kind of layer on top of that. And it's, I, have it's to, just fascinating. I have to do a plug for a halt and catch fire. Ben's that. Oh, I got to check that. Is that a that show? Was a good, that was a good show. Yeah. It was about the early seventies and laptops, but um, Frank, I, I apologize. I got to drop off. Oh, so do I. So with that, I will play the final. Uh, I didn't get to play. I, you know how much I love my uh, things. So for Max Impact yes. Tuesday, I will play the little graphic. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.